With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good afternoon, good evening, YWales. My name is Siva Avaru, Managing Director of YWales Solutions, and I'm joined by the co-founders of Bits Crypto, Alex Pacenti and Jameson Raider. How are you guys? Doing well. Great. Man, I've been doing some background and you know searching on your guys' platform. It looks like, you know, Bits Crypto. Let me know if this is kind of a good summary of the platform. You know, kind of a, a decentralized background trader. Uh, for users that want to enter the crypto markets, is, is that is that a good one? That's pretty. That's pretty close to spot on. Um, we noticed a lot of market volatility about a year ago. We built initially what was the Acorns for Crypto model. We can get more into that later. Um, and then saw the market, you know, going through the cyclical volatility that we've seen in 2018. More recently, decided to build a smart background trader that can monitor the market for you and auto execute on your behalf in a fully decentralized capacity. Um, We'll get into what all of that means briefly, but, but yeah, nail on the head. Oh, I mean, that's cool. And then we'll get more into the platform, but I mean, how do you even come up with that idea? I mean, what, what you know, Acorns, right? And, and there's a couple of other platforms that allows you to true up, you know, spare change and, you know, apply that into other investment vehicles, so to speak. But, you know, now taking that and, and applying a lens of crypto, I mean, where, where was the, the birth of this idea? Yeah, um, you know, originally it was a, a volatility fighter. Uh, it's no secret that vol volatility is everywhere in crypto. Uh, and then I'd say there's a lot of new like trustless tools that have come out, very fun stuff, you know, regardless of whether you're a crypto fan or not. Um, there's some really cool like cryptography elements. And so one kind of major advantage was to see some of the catastrophes that have happened, like FTX, and realize you could take some of these um, trustless tools and let people have, um, you know, a way to keep their money where it's not going to get stolen. You know, that's that's always a positive thing, regardless of market conditions, the security of your mm -hmm. funds. And like full transparency of their capital, so to speak, right? Totally. One of our, yeah, one of the main pitfalls that we saw uh, was that, you know, in centralized exchanges like Coinbase, where it's this single institution that's holding your funds and uh, presumably going to keep them safe. Obviously, we saw like the pitfalls, pitfalls of that with FTX, um, you know, losing a lot of people, acting as a bad actor, and burning a lot of new users and new investors to crypto. So we wanted to create a space where users maintained full ownership of their assets, and we were able to mar basically monitor the market on their behalf while they still maintain ownership throughout the process. So it has the same like safety security element of like keeping you know your funds. Um, underneath your bed, so to speak, you know, when people, when, have you seen like, it's a wonderful life. I always bring this up when people are talking about, it. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Like the centralized exchange, the classic like, bank runs that, um, we saw like in movies or in FTX or, you know, we, we see Coinbase right now being threatened and financed by the SEC. A lot of the giants are falling in the centralized institutions 
space of crypto. And we think we're basically hedging a bet on the rise of decentralized institutions to house um, crypto investing. So were, were you guys um, like crypto traders full time before you got the idea for bits? Were you guys, you know, Forex? Were you guys, you know, TradFi traders? Like what, what are you guys' backgrounds? How how'd you get into this? Uh, yeah, so crypto a long time ago. I think I was at first year university, so I'm 29 now. Uh, so this was, I was like, what, 18, 19 or something like that? Uh, a long time ago. Uh, my background, graduated from Northwestern University, created a, a sports tech company, uh, was able to sell that company about two years later, created another company that transmitted data through high-frequency sound that people can't hear, Deployed that massively in, in sports as well. 20 million downloads, some really cool customers, uh, NFL, whatnot, El John, fun stuff. Um, and then just the whole while was also interested in, in Bitcoin primarily. And uh, so it was kind of like a natural and, and software engineering. I'm a software engineer. So it was kind of just union of, of two interests. Um, yeah, so my background, I'm from Dallas, Texas originally. I grew up as, you know, being a serial entrepreneur started my first company when I was 10 years old. It was like a summer camp for kids. I've always loved the intersection of, you know, solving problems um, and impact. And, uh, and yeah, so I went to the Wharton School of Business. There I founded a company called Ivy Insights, which was basically one of the first remote workplaces during COVID where students could find part-time positions. So it was a system that would match software developers or business consultants with each other and deploy them to go work with startups across the U.S. to help students and startups connect. Um, scaled that as a solo founder, totally bootstrapped, grew it internationally, um, which was a super, super exciting process. Learned a lot about managing hundreds of people and teams and delegating. And then, uh, yeah, after, after studying at Wharton, I moved out to California, wanted to get into crypto space. I've been exposed to crypto for about eight years at this point. Um, this is my first time building in it in the space, but about a year and a half ago, we raised our pre-seed round four bits on the premise of being an acorns for crypto. And this is to kind of paint the picture. The market was super hot. Everyone wanted in. And it was kind of like crypto was a, like a little bit elusive and felt like almost ethereal and untouchable and intergalactic. All the marketing was very like, you know, everyone, anyone who saw it knows what I'm talking about, but um, we wanted to- It was like the mystical beast, so to speak, right? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Um, and- you couldn't get totally. away from and it. we wanted to make it really palatable and onboard the next, you know, millions of crypto investors through the Acorns model. And for anyone listening, um, Acorns is what they did is they take every purchase you make in real life, round up to the next dollar, take that spare change and invest it for you. So Acorns typically does like a standard stock portfolio. We wanted to make the Acorns for crypto. So all those spare change roundups, you know, passively investing into your own crypto portfolio. Um, for new users just to enter the space, get educated, not feel it, you know, an intense financial burden. Um, and yeah, we released that about eight months ago, saw it validated amidst a pretty hectic market. Um, and yeah, and that, that was kind of the, the, the impetus for starting it. Um, to give people easy access. So were, were, were one of you guys using the Acorns platform and you thought, hey, a light bulb moment went off and said, hey, Right now, it's a major bull run in crypto. Everyone, you know, at the Thanksgiving table is is talking about, you know, you should get an ETH, and you know, I don't know, it's too confusing, and you know, maybe on the Acorns platform, and now, hey, this maybe this could be applied to crypto 
Uh, or, or was it that something that simple? Or did you guys meet at, at, a, at a conference? Or, or how did your guys' paths align here to actually come together and form the beast that is Bits Crypto? Yeah, I guess the, the creation of it was, uh, you know, originally, um, as my experience as a founder, you want to start off with with a MVP product, get feedback. Uh, and that was something that could be built and we could start the feedback cycle uh, quickly. Um, now deciding, hey, I'm going to create a new exchange structure that that is like a hybrid model between like trustless and, and trustful systems like that. Oh, that's going to take a long time to build. Uh, and you're going to be building it two years later. So it was it was a middle ground between a useful product uh, and something that could be built quickly. Uh, so launched that um, and was able to, you know, again, start this feedback cycle that's so important for startups. Uh, as for how Alex and I met, we were introduced by a, a mutual friend um, who uh, also love her. Uh, <laughs> she is a founder herself and is... is, is intense mm-hmm. she's great um uh, but yeah she introduced us they met at yeah. Watch House. so um and then oh, yeah. wait actually james i feel like this is a good time to do you want to explain the whole trustless component because of the people who are listening may might not be super exposed to web3 or crypto do you want to talk about what how that what that actually means in, in the space yeah sure so there's the the spare change element which is you know nice and very intelligible uh, the next part of the the, the company and the biggest um, update that's actually being launched in like a few weeks uh, is you know probably more exciting for true like Web three um, junkies. Uh, so how that works is crypto is like an industry that suffers heavily from amnesia. Yes, <laughs> like uh, yeah, I, I, just, I, yes, I agree. <laughs> not just these like major hype cycles. Um, but there's also these big explosions of centralized exchanges. So if you go back to like, I think it was like 2014, there was uh, Mt. Gox. Yeah, I, I was still, one of the first users of Mt. Gox. I think I lost like 20 Ethereum that they're just, I can't even access it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, so there's still the fallout of that. And so, and then people are just like, forget and then FTX happens. You're like, can you ever see this coming? It's amnesia, like after amnesia. Uh, and the really cool thing about uh, what's happened over the past two years in the crypto space has just been a lot of cool trustless tools. Now, it's really hard to parse those tools and know like what you can believe and what you can't because you can't just be your own like just like, like be your own bank, be your own like security auditor. Like, you know, that's that's very hard. To I mean, do. The, the, the big uh, problems that plague, you know, companies in, in our industry, right, and that try to operate, you know, without some sort of proper oversight or something of that nature. Yeah. So, so there's a bunch of reasons why you'd still use a centralized exchange, even though there's now decentralized exchanges. Um, one of the, not just that decentralized exchanges are often hard to use, but there's feature sets that you can have in a centralized exchange that you can't have in a decentralized exchange. One of them being like, Hey, you know, I don't want to buy Bitcoin right now. I only want to buy it if it drops below um, $22,000. Well, you can't go to like your, you know, one of the mill decks and put that in place. You need to set up a reservoir of stable coins and connect it to some price oracles that trigger uh, this function call. Like it's hard. Uh, so that's why people still use centralized exchanges, even if you're, uh, even if, you know, there's decentralized alternatives. So what we've built is the ability to use the centralized exchange feature set 
with the decentralized protections of self-custody. Mm-hmm. And to clarify, Interesting. yeah, to clarify briefly, um, the self-custody component is really, really key in this uh, because we never hold your funds, nor can we ever lose them or exploit them for our own benefit. Uh, we're really, our aim is to empower the users. So we act as a technology layer throughout different decentralized exchanges um, rather than acting as our own. And, uh, you know, and, yeah. and to clarify to our users that that means that there is not a wallet within your app that that you are passing those funds to back to a third party wallet that is maintained by by the end user. Yeah, so you can actually create a decentralized wallet within the app, but that's a convenience. Uh, you can also uh, any decentralized wallet would would do the same mm-hmm. uh, could could work. Um. And then the other thing is, you know, one of the strategies, like, like we said, we wanted to build something that we would want in a down market. And right now what we want is the ability to own our funds and also monitor things while, you know, we're asleep, we're doing other things. Like we don't want to be day traders in crypto. It's too volatile, moves too quickly. There's too much to track. Um, so, so in essence, there's a whole suite of investment strategies that we will be launching, including like copycat trading. If someone changes their account on chain, it can be linked and auto-reflected inside of your own. Social sentiment trading, where if social sentiment changes about one certain type of crypto, it can be reflected in you know your own investment portfolio. Um, fear and greed index trading. So basically all of these different components where we're funneling in different data inputs to make decisions or notify you about decisions you can make. Um, that's that's the that's the idea. Does that make sense? Can, that... No, no, that makes sense. And 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 James, you, you, do you mind if I call you James or Jameson or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, James you mentioned about you know essentially what I would consider you know some type of futures trading or or derivatives trading uh, when you're talking about betting on the price movement uh, of an asset or a financial instrument. So are you are you guys tapping into kind of? Um, the futures components of these centralized exchanges to offer that to your customers via your your platform is is that what you were implying or inferring? So there's yeah that, that's one element, uh, but I guess it's kind of changing. Like there are certain things uh, decentralized platforms where you can you know trade futures and whatnot. Um, the thing is that they're very you have to be pretty advanced to be able to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they're still connected to these price oracles. You can't do things that you can't get down to the personalized level of like, I just bought a coffee. Now I want to round up 50 cents uh, and, uh, you know, go back, going back to the acorns part. Uh, and so it's almost like a paradigm shift of how to invest rather than the, the techniques of what to invest in or, or what's causing that. It's just this new hybrid model where there is some trust involved. You are trusting us to out, you know, report uh, to the to the blockchain properly about true information, like you know, connecting your bank account to Plaid, so that Plaid can say if you bought coffee or not, um, or like um, if the public sentiment about Bitcoin has trended up on Twitter lately. Like that is what the informa- That's the trust element. You're trusting us to report that information correctly. Um, but the thing is, we have no. Whether we tell the truth or not, whether the platform tells the truth or not, there's no way to financially benefit from incorrect information. Uh, and so that's what makes this different and unique is there's no way to um, buy the trust element. You get the entire feature set of a centralized exchange, but you get the protections of no one can really reach in and, and steal the funds from your wallet. You're not 
loaning them mm-hmm. anywhere. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So do, do, have you integrated any like awesome DeFi protocols or capabilities within your platform itself? Like, do you guys have an Oracle on the back end? Are you guys interacting with things like Aave or SushiSwap or you know, Arbitrum or anything of that nature or DEX aggregators. It's, it sounds like you're, you're, you're really harping on, on a lot of the benefits of DEX um, tool sets or, or capabilities and trying to expose them to uh, a non-degen audience who wouldn't be exposed to DeFi capabilities. Yeah. So the, definitely a lot of DEX aggregators, lots of, um, uh, a lot of the foundational work has been, Making this you know new hybrid model now, it's very easy to implement things like um, like yeah, sushi swap or whatever. We're, we're using one inch for an aggregator, um, but you know, the hardest part is actually setting up kind of the concepts um, to how the trading mechanisms work um, and where the trust elements come into play. Uh, and so that's what's been the big heavy lift has kind of been the the architecture now you can kind of swap out the furniture mm-hmm. that sort of thing but the intuition is is totally on point siva um we want to make decentralized finance really accessible to non-degen users and um, so on the front end you know when you download the next app like uh, it basically if you type in bits right now bits in the app store we're the first thing that comes up and that's the acorns for crypto model in a few weeks we'll be launching this next um iteration which is you know the smart background trader and it looks and feels and breathes just like any other like fintech app, but under the hood, it's totally powered by blockchain technologies. Uh, you mean I don't have to go through 15 dialogue boxes to authenticate myself and I don't have to connect five different wallets and uh, just to be able to uh, access spot trading or something of that nature? Yeah, our, our aim was to remove as much friction as possible. Um, yeah, so hopefully, yes. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, and and I, you know, I'm gonna ask the the ten thousand pound gorilla question in the room right now, which is, you know, most of these DeFi protocols, even though you're you're not technically a DeFi app, but you know, the the biggest issue that they face right now is the ability to on and off ramp, you know, fiat, right? Um, how do you how do you guys address that problem for you know, Joe Schmo, so to speak, interacting and, and trading and rounding up on bits on the bits app? I actually have a really cool answer to this one. Um, so <laughs> involved in uh, on-ramping, off-ramping, you know, that it would qualify as like money transmission, which is not something that we do or, or want to do. Um, that said, we've really set up with a, a partner network, um, you know, a, a very unique flow uh, where it's basically kind of like a, a, a legitimate virtual trust in the user's name. Um where they still have like custody of their actual funds, even when it's not on the blockchain through actual, um, yeah. So basically how it works is when you go to wire money, say you wanted to wire money into your platform. Uh, if you look at FTX, they had to wire money to like Alameda research. Yeah. Like they, like it was a huge scandal that no one really even noticed that you were wiring money um, to this like <laughs> entity that's not even your exchange. Um, and what's really cool is with the flow that, that we have set up, you're actually wiring that money if you choose to wire as the on-ramp um, to yourself. You know, the recipient is you. Um, and so there, there, it's, it's a different way of actually handling not just uh, crypto, but, you know, of handling fiat as well. Yeah, I mean, that's 
you know, that that's the biggest risk, right? Uh, for especially for an end user interacting with any sort of like DeFi capability is how do I get money in and out? Uh, it can't just stay, you know, in some sort of crypto uh, forever. Although a lot of people do it, right? Yeah, but, some some people would be like, yeah, yeah. but yeah, no, that's a minority position. We'll, we'll we'll say we'll say we'll call those minimization strategies, right? Um, but no, no, this is this is this is cool stuff. So, you know, one of, one of the cool things about um, DeFi and you know, in, in even just the fintech space in general is that. I would qualify that a lot of Web3 DeFi DGENs have a lot of intuitive approaches to how traditional money markets or you know how financial instruments should be traded within TradFi markets. Based off of your guys' journey here so far to date with bits, um, what have been some of like your interesting learnings that you didn't have prior to actually starting this? That now you've gotten your your hands dirty. You're in. You're deep in the DeFi space. You're you're also in in the TradFi space. Mm-hmm. You're now exposing you know some sort of fiat on ramps, off ramps to to end users. You you have to be aware of regulatory aspects, right? Because that very much impacts. Um, the nature of your business, so to speak, or or could have impacts. What what are some learnings that 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 you you like aha moments that wow, that's new. I never knew that. Uh, we we maybe that's based off of you know your customer acquisition and you're attracting certain types of customers. Maybe that's you're you're attracting certain geographies. Maybe it's hey, we found that uh, users are trading X, Y, and Z. Uh, uh, cryptos more than they are trading. You know what we initially thought. Like, what what are some cool things that you guys have discovered along along the way here? Um, I'll I'll go ahead and jump in. I since my background is like a lot of traditional finance, the people I was around, companies I've started, I've worked in. You know, working with Microsoft or in private equity, um, and even going to Wharton. I've never worked in such a volatile industry. And I mean that to like the nth degree. Oh my God. It's crazy how much changes on a day-to-day basis. Um, and it's a two-edged sword. So on the one side, it's like, there is a growing pains era that we're in right now. I feel with blockchain technologies at large, where people are trying to find the best use case of how to interact with World Web 3 and, and what exactly, what rails should crypto like exist on and how should it be used and should it be cross-border payments or how should it interact with people? And that's that's like still being figured out. There's no, you know, one straightforward answer or product market fit with, um, with crypto at this moment. The other side of the sword is a lot of the giants are falling right now. Like we see Coinbase is being threatened, Binance is being threatened, a lot of people have bad taste in their mouth about crypto players that exist right now and that basically monopolize the entire industry in the US specifically, um, which as a founder is really, really exciting just because it is a green field. A lot of these big players falling means that the market's opening up for new people to move in and capture market share and really grow and expand. So I'd say the biggest the biggest like aha moment or learning experience for me is, is uh, the tightrope balance of a new technology trying to find PMF in a space and all these players churning in and out. And so it's, it's like finding the balance of, can we find product market fit at the right moment um, where the market has opened up? And it does feel like we're approaching that, um, especially with the new product that we're building, which we believe will be bigger than Coinbase. 
Oh, that yeah, that's that's I I I agree with a lot of the um, you know testament there, uh, especially around product market fit. You know, if someone says that they have the playbook, it's not similar to uh, you know. SaaS has a you know SaaS models and the way you acquire customers is a pretty at the, at this point you know about a decade uh, a mature you know there's there's a templatized way there's there's this there's standard approaches standard frameworks you can follow to acquire X Y or Z type of customers if you have a SaaS platform right. but if you have a a crypto oriented platform I mean it's blue ocean it's it's still undefined and we're still so early to this space right there there the the, the Percentages of the population that are even actively trading crypto right now are so minuscule in terms of, you know, what what could be. I mean, the um, uh, just the, the crypto market cap in general is so low compared to even someone the size of BlackRock, oh, right? Yeah. I think BlackRock's, BlackRock's market cap is eight trillion, and the entire uh, crypto market cap is one trillion. So you have entire companies on this planet that are. Eight times larger than the entire space of this, the size of this industry, mm-hmm. right? And that's how early we are. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's, and 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 building, kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, double clicking into that, you know, building and trying to build in this space, you're probably interacting with a much different type of psychograph or persona. Oh, yeah. And you're starting, you're starting to interact uh, and get deeper into the depths of the degents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know from personal experience, especially for trying to hire crypto natives as consultants within my firm, it was a huge eye opener coming uh, from like that MBB style of a background where there's a set way, there's set methodologies, and you know it's a very much de- uh, defined pedigree. And then you know the way you interact with individuals is a very set uh, way of of engagement. And when I started engaging, you know, even um, uh, uh, started getting involved with like bank lists, started talking with a lot more DGENs, even trying to hire some DGENs as, uh, you know, consultants for my clients. Um, I had a hard time even just getting them to uh, get on the, uh, show their faces on webcams. Mm-hmm. I had two guys tell me I had to start calling them by, you know, their usernames. I couldn't call them by their, their uh, you know, their normal name. Oh, God. You know, if I had to take a takeaway, there is a whole generation shift mm-hmm. even in the nature of you know professional working environments that you know crypto degens are starting to penetrate and permeate into oh, right for sure i the way i've described the past 2 years of working in web3 it's like the gatsby of tech it's like the craziest people the wildest like parties and events and just ev- like everyone is it feels like everyone is really deeply just an anarchist at heart um, and yeah, and I, I can definitely test like the culture is, is way, way, way hi- more high voltage than anything I've seen. I will say though, at, at the, uh, previous startup that I founded, the entire dev team went by the usernames. <laughs> no one went by like oh, their wow. real given name. Uh, so I, it just feels, but it's so funny. I, I've done a lot of calls where people want to turn on their camera and they like, our potential investors, you're like, what's what's going on here? The anonymity is maxed mm-hmm. out. People really, really love Wait, it. Wait, Jim, well, it, it, it's still yeah. No, I was going to say I want to hear his answer of his aha moment in doing this whole thing. Um, 
Oh man, uh, the the few that came to mind, but I'd say that one of them is I've just never built a consumer facing company. I've built like you know a lot of apps that are sold to businesses that are then deployed to customer. Like so, it's kind of B to B to C, uh, but you're not optimizing for the end consumer in that case. Uh, you really are optimizing for the business, um, and so this whole flow of being consumer facing. Uh, so it's not necessarily a, an aha moment specific to like crypto or anything, um, but the tool sets that you use and the analytic uh, flows that you look at and, you know, the flow of information down to the user and what's, what you need to track to make sure that it's actually a good product and people aren't using it and people aren't like getting mad and hitting a button a hundred times uh, is very different. And I'd say I do love data science. And so that is one uh, aspect of um, a consumer facing company that I didn't realize I was kind of like missing out on. Um, UI so UX became king, right? Uh, that is true, especially in crypto. Exactly. Because crypto, it's tons of consumer facing applications. So you're competing not just on necessarily like a product level, but like what is straight up easier to use and mm-hmm. looks better. Right, uh, right. It is important. Oh, no. And, and, that, and that's, that's actually. Uh, one reason that we we developed our application not, not in the cross-platform um, language or uh, framework, uh, let's say like React Native or something or Flutter, we actually did fold native um, so to two separate stacks uh, for the front end, native iOS uh, with Swift UI and then Android for with Kotlin and and um, and it's a lot more work, but it it's kind of those competitive edges that kind of make a big difference when you're doing something consumer facing. Well, and, and I think a big thing is like, you know, Web3 kind of has a marketing branding issue or problem, right? You know, it's the, the apps are clunky. They're, they're not favorable to first-time users, especially non, uh, you know, crypto natives. You know, they're not app, you know, I could I can tell my parents, you know, and I, I always use this pressure test, especially for B2C facing apps, you know, can I go and tell my 65-year-old dad, go download this from the app store and can he instantly get it? Can yeah. he intuitively pick it up? Uh, and if he can't, you just, I've, uh, you've just isolated a substantial portion of the market from, you know, being potential customers of your app, right? And vice versa, you know, both extremes from the, the age breakdown, right? And so, how, like, what, what were some, what were some interesting things that you guys have done to optimize uh, for that onboarding of a favorable customer um, experience of your platform? Mm-hmm. We did extensive user testing when we first released uh, the Acorns for Crypto model. We did the whole stress test. I sent it to my 60-something-year-old parents. I was like, all right, guys, let's see how long it'll take you to create an account. Uh, and they could. We also we rewrote every single coin listed on Coinbase to be like an ELI-5, explain it like I'm five, into its most like... Yeah, yeah. Um, So really breaking down all the elusive like intangibles about crypto and trying to make it super, super easy to onboard connect your accounts and also break down, hey, these are the most popular cryptocurrencies. This is what it actually is. Um, and and empower the users in that way. But um, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. Did you um, did you guys find anything as you're going through kind of like these customer mapping journeys or customer experience mapping exercises that seems um, you know, intuitively, this makes sense, but when we actually tested it, uh, it did not make sense, and we found it actually achieved the opposite uh, of, of what we were attending. You know, what what the call to action for the user was going to do? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can think of like some UI elements where like you think, oh, yeah, of course that, that people are going to know how to click that. And then you like do a bunch of tests, realize that nobody knew it was a button. And not only it was it a button, it was like the most important button that opens up the whole part where you customize what you're rounding up into. And uh, we had spent a lot of time like fine tuning this like giant button to have all these cool features and nobody knew to click it. And uh, and we had to redo that like four times because we kept overestimating the um, what the user would would know. We weren't like doing a good enough job at placing ourselves in their their feet. And then from then on out, we were like way more about uh, user testing in the design phase before you actually engineer the thing. Another one that I think we weren't expecting, but we found is. We have right now, uh, basically, you'll get $5 if you... It's like a $5 incentive to download and share the apps, some sort of like referral bonus. Um, and we found that consumers who download from that $5 incentive are often misaligned with the user that we like necessarily would want. Um, and I, I've spoken to quite a few like big fintech companies. For instance, the original COO of Venmo, him and I were chatting and he was like, we did the exact same thing where it was money for referral. And the people would come in, basically just wanted their their money and then to cash out and then leave the ecosystem. So his advice, and this is one that we've really tried to take into account with the next version, is focus on product superiority and bake in growth loops all related to the product inherently uh, to kind of move away from that monetary incentive. So that's something that, yeah, I didn't didn't expect it for people to get so up in arms about, but people really want their $5 in crypto. It, it, yeah, it, I mean that's 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 what Cash App did very successfully at the beginning, right? It was they they spread like wildfire, um, but they also, you know, hit the marketing and PR uh, channel very hard, right? And and getting and instead of having that that natural organic referral growth strategy, what they did is you know they they hired a bunch of influencers right out the gate and approached and targeted a, a portion of the market that wasn't traditionally being targeted from you know fintech apps, so to speak, right? Uh, and that that's that's an interesting takeaway, you know, from a from a web two perspective. Did you um, did you as you guys were building features? Uh, obviously, uh, in in a lot of my clients, especially when we're doing go to market strategy and we're doing product market fit and we're trying to align feature sets and you know what comes up through the backlog and what's eventually going to hit. Did you guys have like features that you wanted to initially, you know, uh, go live with? Um, and and thought that they were going to be competitive advantages, or you know, uh, things that were would place you as a, as a differentiator in the marketplace. Um, that eventually didn't make it to the uh, to to the first uh, you know go live, so to speak, or, or are still within your backlog that you want to eventually roll out, or or you just nixed entirely. Yeah, I, I think you know a lot of you get a lot of feature recommendations and. And it, it's hard not to do like feature creep or just keep delaying the launch because uh, you need to build in the, the next thing. Uh, it's really hard not to fall into that um, habit. Uh, there's other things that we were like, oh, this is going to save us so much time um, if we just build this in. And you build it in and you realize that like <laughs> it, it not only doesn't save you time, it like sets you back really Oh really my far. God. Um, so I guess not letting the right thing feature creep versus like just letting anything feature totally. creep. And like an example would be integrating with Coinbase for the first version. Uh, we wanted to connect as much AUM as possible, like assets under management. So 
And because a lot of that is housed within Coinbase, we're like, oh, let's just connect the APIs. We'll interact with their ecosystem and build like the Acorns model on top of it. So, so difficult to work with their API. And it we waste, we spent a lot of money, a lot of money and a lot of time working with their code base and trying to build something that was compatible with it. Um, where now we, we've completely cut it out of like the next version. Oh, that's uh, that's interesting because their API. I know my my devs have you know, have tried to play around with their API. It's you know they push it out as easy to use. You can you know you can take it like a, like a magic SDK and you can manipulate it and you don't ever have to talk to us. Really, that's that's a so there's like the Coinbase Cloud stuff for developers, and then they have like the other API that they probably don't talk about, and that's like. So impossible to use. It's so bad. It's not documented. And you get like these obscure error messages that actually don't mean anything. And we, yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to like change ourselves to accommodate this API and then realized that it just was mm-hmm. not doable. And we needed to rebuild a lot of this feature set that we were relying on Coinbase for. Um, yeah. So, so you guys are live now. Right, and and you guys have been live for what eight eight months? I think you mentioned, or yeah, about then, yeah. And 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 what 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 are your metrics to date? Like, uh, what what what's what what's the ride been like so far? We got a few thousand users, like else like two thousand maybe the first month, twenty five hundred, and then we've had pretty good like user acquisition since. Uh, we've noticed that like the biggest problems that come up are honestly related to that kind of Coinbase issue. Like you can look at the user flow and be like, oh, okay, so if they take this flow, retention is going to plummet. If they take this row, it's actually going to be okay. Uh, And uh, oddly, a lot of that in our application depends on like, you know, did they connect Coinbase? Did they connect it? And it turns out they had their Coinbase set up the right way. Uh, So we've done it surprisingly well because honestly it launched right when like, Crypto started like going like less, you know, less popular. Uh, so I've been like impressed with that. Um, we have a lot of connected AUM. I'd say we have like a dedicated user base um, who are using the application, um, and it's actually not as hard to get new users as I would have mm-hmm. thought. Our initial customer acquisition cost was sitting around five dollars per person, where industry standard was at forty. Now it's definitely or um, what is it now? Like Two hundred something. So we were sitting at like a 40th, like a fraction of the typical cost. I'm sure it's just increasing now. But we, um, yeah, we saw thousands of users in the first eight months. Like James Jameson said, we have quite a bit of money connected um, to the platform and are recording about a quarter of a million financial transactions every month um, with our users. So there's there's quite a bit of, there's a quite big of a pool of financial data as well as um, users who like our product. That being said, though, the next version is it just has so, so, so many more capabilities. Um, and we're really, really excited about that. Um, we're actually kicking off. Can, can you uh, mention any of those? Uh, is that some, some publicly or, or or do we have to wait or? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. What's up? Dude? Oh, no, okay. I was just going to say the next version um, is uh, the, you know, the bits to point out that we've been discussing over the call, the background trader that's really decentralized. Um, and when we do launch that, we're prepping a full seed round raise to basically say, hey, 
Coinbase is really hurting. Different exchanges or platforms where people can invest in crypto are really hurting. Um, we built theoretically what is the smartest, safest, decentralized platform for people to invest in crypto. Um, and this is that. So we'll be we'll be raising our next round after launch. That's I think one of the biggest updates. Oh, and that's so. Is that is that background trader? Is that is that an oracle um, by nature? Is 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 that a Web three? Is that a DeFi oracle? Or or maybe expand on what the background uh, trader kind of mechanism is. Yeah. So how it kind of functions is the user, in in, in so many words, sets up this like preloaded transaction on the blockchain uh, that can be something to the effect of if this public sentiment about Bitcoin starts to trend up up you know, above, uh, you know, hits a hit, hits a certain percentage up, whether, whatever, whatever that's defined to be, or like increases by 5% or something just using, um, you know, uh, natural language processing tools to analyze the sentiment about, about Bitcoin. Um, and, and so they the kind of set up the this. sentiment that you're analyzing. Is that like Twitter feeds? Is that, uh, are you yeah, like social media? Like yeah. So, and so you'd set up that transaction and you'd think typically you'd have to then rely on a centralized exchange to execute that for you. That's not how bits platform works. So you set up this like pre-cached transaction, uh, that depends on public sentiment on Twitter. Uh, and the transaction could be, Hey, take, um, $10 out of my bank account and trade it for Bitcoin. Uh, or, you know, take $10 and trade it for ETH and then take that ETH and then stake it and let me earn interest on it. So you can set up this whole complicated flow of how the flow of funds works. Mm -hmm. And then we oracleize this information. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's decentralized price oracles, but other times, whether it's personalized information like your bank account, uh, if you bought coffee or public center about Twitter, we're oracleizing this information. And then if your criteria gets met, the whole transaction, then you know it's triggered and it flows through. Mm, so, like, let me let me reframe that in like a, an example use case or scenario. So, like, let's say my account on Bits, for example, and maybe I can define some parameters. Uh, this is, this is going to be unfair. I, I used to specialize in NLP and intent and utterance. So, like, if I you know defined intent and utterance around you know Gary Gensler no longer mentioning or, or clearing Solana as, as not a security, and I expect the the price to shoot up, you know, would I define uh, you know in, uh, that those utterance uh, terms? Uh, and then, you know, within the platform and if, you know, there's a, a match for Gary Ginsler clears Solana or something, uh, then I have a pool uh, or a preloaded transaction of, you know, let's say $100 on Solana and it executes that on behalf of me. Can, can I set that up that way where it's like if X person says this and I predict the price is going to shoot up, go execute at this price right now. Yeah, so that's well, the example that we always used was uh, if Elon Musk tweets using the word Doge, oh, like yeah. Yeah, you know something yeah. like that, where you're you're setting up these triggers of information you would like monitored and oracleized, and then you have your own set of transactions. Now the thing is, uh, if you know there was a if the our private key were hacked or something, and someone started mis uh, mis oracleizing information and said that Elon said the word Doge when he didn't. Uh, the what's really nice is that the financial transaction flow flow funds never involves us in any way. So there's no benefit that a hacker would get from you know providing this false information on chain. Um, 
Yeah, that, and so just removing ourselves from the flow of funds and making it the, running through the thought exercise of okay, so say that say that um, a hacker had a private private key. What is the worst that could happen? Trying to minimize that impact and say that no funds could actually um, be misappropriated. That's the the goal, uh, and that's what we're designing towards. That's that's really cool because I've. Uh, I'm I'm pretty deep in like the capital markets, private market space, um, and I've not come across any outside of you know like quant trading desks where they are analyzing in real time, you know, user, you know, social, basically public sentiment around certain you know instruments, and then they will capture a position or what have you. But there's really nothing of that scale or magnitude available to the retail audience and either fintech platforms or web2 or web3 platforms right and it almost what you guys are tackling is is really smart because all i, I don't want to say all or generalize here but in, in most percentages are made up and so I'll go make up one you know i would say 90% of of trader sentiment around Crypto is really benefit is based off of social media sentiment, right? Most DGENs, most active, you know, mm-hmm. Web three traders are, are are operating, you know, on the depths of Discord channels or crypto Twitter or totally. you know a couple of these kind of and, and it's online. And if you have a way to crawl, scrape, uh, capture that sentiment and then inform a position um, uh, within your own, uh, you know, book, so to speak, that's a really cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and and to that point, you know, we patented the entire um, you know smart contract infrastructure flow and how we monetize that. Oh, yeah. So awesome. in terms yeah. of um, our own like defensibility in the market, we yeah we're super super excited to launch it and see how people respond um, and feel really optimistic about um, our competitive advantage. I love that. Uh, again, maybe selfish, and I have some bias since I come from a background at NLP. But that's a really cool thing that you could uh, obviously package up and have a whole monetization strategy and license that out to other you know platforms that want to leverage you know sentiment uh, analysis in terms of trading. So For to speak. Sure. yeah. Do you guys? Um, do Do you guys? Um, you know, you guys are are. are Right now, it's kind of fractional rounding into crypto, but is there an is there any plans to kind of expand into other asset classes? Obviously, within Web three, the natural expansion would be: could you roll up into maybe fractionalized uh, investing into NFTs, right? Or uh, you know, there's there's this uh, tokenization is starting to become a burgeoning. You know, concept and the tokenization of world 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 assets, or you know what we call securities, but you know tokenization of stocks, right? If there's a Web three tokenized stock of maybe Tesla, and I could round up fifty cents uh, into a tokenized Tesla stock, is is that on your? Yeah, something there, like that there your was mind? that mere protocol with uh, on Luna, Terra Luna, yeah, that, yeah. that this whole. Thing and the guy was like taking the SEC to court and stuff, and then it like, poof. but uh, that's what that reminds me of. Um, so the, it's kind of agnostic towards the asset. Uh, I would, you know, think it'd be really fun to involve something that's like a, a tokenized real world asset. Um, and our platform would would be agnostic towards what the actual asset is that's involved in that. You know, as long as it can occupy the same like hexadecimal address that anything else does on on some you know EVM uh, blockchain, then 
it would mm-hmm. work. And then in terms of uh, the token play, I think that's a really interesting opportunity for distribution specifically is being able to partner with projects that do have like token launches planned and have some sort of wedge for distribution with that. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's definitely something we're looking into in the future uh, and something we'll test really actively and see what users want. And their bits do, do you guys have any any partners that are involved with you guys from a, a, a company or, or, or partnership perspective that that you view as strategic um, that is really like empowering your platform? Yeah, so we um, we've had some pretty hard hitting investors that bring a lot to the table in terms of portfolio companies. Like um, HOF led our pre seed round; uh, they came in with the biggest check. We had Kleiner Perkins invest most recently into our latest bridge round into this decentralized background trader. Um, they don't typically touch crypto, especially at an early stage. But uh, so we felt super, right. super excited about that. Um, they invested through their Fairchild arm. So it's like we have a lot of portfolio companies attached to big investors who, you know, we're really excited about fielding conversations with as well as um, B2B conversations with exchanges, um, token companies where we'll more intensely partner with them in the next and then at the next launch, we kind of have to get that infrastructure working, playing, and then we can license out. But a lot of those B2B conversations are happening right now. So you guys are on, you know, uh, the the Apple App Store. You guys are on Android. You know, if you're a user, you can go out, download, play around with bits. Um, but what if I'm a, an investor? Uh, you know, I, I think you guys have a very compelling opportunity here. You know, might be something that I might explore, or, you know, some of my peers or some of the listeners here. Um, is is there an opportunity uh, uh, to 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 invest in bits? Yeah, um, super super excited to talk about this. So we have um, a two pronged approach to the next raise. Since we are building something for the mass markets, we're opening up a crowdfunding campaign with Republic alongside them um, after we launched Bits 2.0, the background trader that's fully decentralized. Um, so that's on more of, you know, you don't need to be an accredited investor. Um, it's for anyone from the crypto natives to crypto novices that will be live. Um, and it is going to be a cap threshold of what we're raising. But aside from that, if you know you are an accredited investor, we will be formally opening up the seed round after we launch the next version, because at that point we'll be post revenue, post product, post launch, um, and have quite a bit of momentum, quite a momentum going. So yeah, we're, we're fielding conversations. Can, can, can I invest with my crypto? Could I could I round up my investment? Uh, you know, my ETH from another wallet into into. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, honestly, we could you know if it's above a certain threshold, we can make something work. <laughs> but hey, uh, build, build, build it, build that. That pro that doesn't exist right now. No, no one's done that. You guys have the capabilities. Build it, IP it, license it, yeah. sell it. Hey, now you have an on ramp of of the direct crypto into you know for a, a non accredited investors to get on the cap table of crypto companies. Mm-hmm. Totally um, beautiful. But yeah, those are the two funders updates. So we're doing a, a round for three million with with larger VCs, feeling conversations with leads right now, feeling really good about it, and then uh, doing the crowdfunding campaign with the public all after launch. And then Jameson, do you want to talk about expected launch date on the development side? You, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so we have a big intermediate update that we're calling like 1.5, and that's coming out probably, I'd say, ideally within the month of June, um, if not early July, and then not... More than just a few weeks after that is the the, the 2.0 that has um, 
some more exciting decentralized features evolved. Um, and speaking to the Republic raise, I do think it is very nice and validating as a consumer facing app to get validated by to, you know, the public, uh, and to have them represented not only like as the target audience, but also on the cap table. So I think it, I think it is nice when you see consumer facing applications um, approach that methodology for um, validation as well. Yeah, enough traction to say that people are willing to, you know, uh, help you and fuel your guys' growth, right? Because yeah. hopefully, if your guys are successful, you are returning a lot of value back to your customers. That's right? the plan. It's a beautiful closed loop, uh, you know, relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you for your time on, on you know, what looks to be a, a beautiful Friday out there. Um, you know, it's, this was great. I've, I've yet to come across the, the acorns of crypto. Um, you guys, it's, it sounds like you guys are doing it well. My wife downloaded the app while she overheard us recording this. So, uh, I might, you know, I might actually have a, a, a play around with you guys this weekend, but this is awesome. And I'm excited to have you guys on our fireside. So this will be, uh, it'll be awesome to get you guys in front of the community and they can start playing around with the app. For sure. For sure. Super, super happy to be here. And thanks so much for the questions. And the last thing is, uh, yeah, if anyone listening has any questions, feedback, wants to get in touch with us, um, they can they can check us out at bitscrypto.com. Yep. And we will have um, their contact info um, and uh, where to go and download the app uh, on the notes of this uh, recording. And again, Jameson, Alex, thank you for your time on this Friday. Um, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.